Hi, everyone. It's Raghu Marcus back with Mind Rolling with uh, a special friend who we haven't talked in quite some time, at least live on a podcast, Danny Goldberg. Danny, welcome. Hi. Hi. So uh, now, you know, Danny, Danny, of course, had uh, has had a show, uh, a podcast on Be Here Now Network, which you can find. Just go uh, just look for Danny Goldberg or look for, um, what was the name of it, Danny? Oh, it was called Rock and Rolls. Oh, plural. Yes, it was a pl- yes. Yeah, it was a play on Ram Dass's injunction for us to remember that we're uh, souls, not roles. Yeah. Uh, and so there's some wonderful interviews up there and chats. So, uh, and Danny, from time to time, uh, when he can cut out of his busy schedule, we get him to come on, and particularly, I thought this was timely, uh, being that we're in the uh, early, early part of uh, 2020, and we have this momentous event going to go on later in the year. And uh, and also, Danny, we haven't managed to, uh, since Ramdas uh, departed, um, we actually haven't uh, managed to even really talk about that. Uh, so that's something we can bring up in terms of what that means to you particularly. Um, yes. The other thing is that uh, I, you know, as it's been a while, I just want to remind people a little bit about if they don't know you for any reason. So uh, Danny's history uh, is in the music business and uh, it's where we spent a, a formative part of our relationship there, although we had met a long time ago uh, at a spiritual event. And uh, so Danny started in the music business uh, in PR, working for Led Zeppelin, and then uh, worked his way and then eventually started uh, uh, working in management and had a major management company and uh, record executive. But that was first, he, of course, and you just wrote that book, right, about Kurt Cobain and managing Nirvana, serving the servant. And we'll put this all up in the show notes, people, so you can get an idea of the different things that Danny has done. Um, and, uh, and of course, uh, at uh, creating the label Artemis. And that's where, uh, uh, although we had done something previously, Danny and I, in terms of the music business and a collaboration, but it was at uh, Artemis was the most recent stop. So, and Danny's been writing these great, great books. Uh, and Danny has been a champion at ACLU here in uh, Los Angeles. And, um, and certainly somebody who has been uh, involved in liberal causes and politics for a long, long time. He's my go-to person, everybody out there, in terms of getting some kind of reality check uh, on uh, the moment that we are in and its uh, historic implications, a bigger view that Danny uh, has given me around this, uh, around these situations, and uh, just some plain old, as they say in Yiddish, sechel, a little S E C H E L, which some common sense about what is going on and also connected to our soul lives shall we say is that a good little uh, uh review of uh of you 
I will. I'm grateful for it. I will say one thing I've been doing recently that I don't know if I mentioned to you, but it's pertinent to our discussions. I've been writing a series of pieces for the Nation oh, yeah. magazine about the relationship, generally speaking, between art and politics. The next one's going to come out in a few days, and it's about the uh, California presidential primary and how different people in the creative community are relating to it. So uh, that's kind of a new uh, outlet for me that I'm really enjoying, mm. and uh, and and uh, hopefully it'll be the topic of my it will be the topic of my next uh, book also, Great. but that won't be out till 2021. So here we are. Uh, I think, uh, can I say the date we're having this conversation? Cause it's so, yeah, yeah. Yeah, everything yeah. is such a moving river of time. And this is the date, uh, tonight there's going to be a, a, a debate, uh, with the democratic aspirants. And then the, um, Saturday, I guess is the South Carolina caucus and Tuesday is so-called super Tuesday. And so in the next, a week from today, as we speak, uh, things are going to be different in terms of the analysis of who might be running for president. Mm, right. Uh, no, so it's a fast moving, fast moving yeah. train we're on. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, uh, Danny and I just talked before, uh, before we went live and I said, I, I want to do a disclaimer. And he said, so do I, but here's mine. Um, because, uh, we're obviously, we're, talking about and i just mentioned that uh, danny has been a part of uh, liberal causes for a long time and obviously is uh, is a democrat and uh, obviously i am and i only say that because we've been friends a long time it might have been hard if i had been a republican i don't know uh, but uh, that's what i'm addressing because sometimes when we do bring up any kind of this and we're bringing this up not to um not to cheerlead Okay, we're bringing it up because we really want to look at everything, including our, ourselves and the people that we hold as opposite and deal with some of the polarization, deal with some of the fear that's going on. And, and you know, as well as saying some things that uh, we feel, and in this case, uh, I count on Danny to give me, you know, some wisdom around uh, this this particular situation and, and this election this year so but whenever i do that i do get back uh, mail from people saying something like do you have to be a democrat to be spiritual and of course the answer is absolutely not and now when and 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 i've i've actually written a letter to a couple of people and said this is not about the the opposing yes i do oppose some of the policies that the Republican Party espouses. But I'm talking about uh, a situation where we have somebody who is president who uh, is not at all anywhere near being in their heart. I mean, as the most simple way I can put it in terms of the way I feel about it. And, uh, and, and is doing destructive uh, stuff, even just by virtue of some of the kinds of tweets that he does. And I, I know many people like them and, and so on. So this is not about Republican or Democrat. This is about um, we've, we're in a situation where a lot of fear has been created. And um, that's what we want to investigate. Danny? Yeah, the frame I was thinking of bringing to the conversation, or one of the frames was, was something, you know, both you and I, 
and I, and Ram Dass, uh, I believe admired and were friends with Bernie Glassman, uh, yes. you know, who was, uh, created the Zen peacemakers order and was, a uh, highly trained as a, as a Buddhist and passed, passed on, I think a year or two ago, pretty recently, yeah. him and him, him and Ram Dass are, I'm sure laughing it up some other dimension. Mm. And, um, in the last few years of his life, Bernie, developed this thing about communication where he said to me, and I'm sure it's up to hundreds of other people, that he wanted to try to say, in my opinion, as a introduction to anything he was saying, he said, you know, if people would just say, in my opinion, it would just reduce so much the tension in the world. And so, I, I, you know, I, I really don't know for sure. Um, anything except my own opinions and my intuition and my instincts. I think that, um, uh, that, 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 that I honor that God created every single person, including Trump and Trump voters, and that we're all somehow one in the spirit. And I don't always know how to perceive and process that and can communicate at that level, but that's the aspiration is to is to try to be ethical citizens and do what we feel is the right thing right as we see it as we understand what's right while still honoring there's just so much that we don't know and uh and and uh and and trying to have some uh, uh framing that allows us to know these are opinions you know not not more than that so that that was kind of my mm. way into the same dilemma, which is how to really be stand firm for what 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 I believe is the right thing politically and ethically, and not dishonor the spirituality and humanity of people with different opinions. Right. And the truth is that over the years, I I've changed my opinions about plenty of things, and plenty of the people I thought were exemplary leaders didn't turn out to be that great, and. You know, even Trump, there are things he's done that I like. I like the thing of, uh, uh, you know, changing some of the prison system where some more people were able to get out of jail earlier. And uh, there's probably other things, too, that I'm not thinking of. So I, I, I really frame it that way. And, and you know, to me, Ron Dutt, as in so many other issues, is a role model in this. I mean, I you were kind enough to send me this talk he gave during the, I think it was the first year of Bill Clinton's administration. So that yeah. must've been 1993. It sounded yeah. to me like it was 93, maybe it was 94. And um, boy, he was certainly um, not at all shy about saying what his political beliefs <laughs> were in that talk. Uh, you know, it was really, I, I hadn't actually heard anything with him being quite that mm. sharp edged. And yet he's also the person who put pictures of George W. Bush and John Boehner and Donald Trump on his puja table and, and really tried to live up to, you know, Maharaji's teaching to love everybody, to include everybody. Yeah. And that's, that is, that, that is our job while having a rational, intelligent and ethical discussion about the election. So how to do that, I don't know, but that's the aspiration. Yeah. Yeah. Um, just so, uh, people have a reference because actually this talk, which, uh, did come from, it's actually March 27th, 1993. And, uh, it was called in between stories. It's not out there yet, 
uh, and it will be in the next uh, couple of weeks. So by March uh, 2020, early March, I believe it'll be out there. And uh, in between stories, and I, I found it fascinating. Now, in the in the beginning, he talks about the reference is is more the uh, religious institutions than political institutions, uh, but it's easily transferable. Um, and and he starts out saying we're in trouble because we're in between stories. Yeah, so yeah. The patriarchal stories that we've been living with so long, and and obviously there's a big pushback on that now. Uh, but a new story hasn't developed. What, what did you think about that? You know, I, um, I really, I listened to it twice all the way through because I really wanted to process it. And there were a lot of things in there that really uh, were fun to hear. I mean, that's the amazing thing about him is uh, you, you think you've heard all of his raps yeah, and right. then some completely new things come across, you know, uh, you know, through the, magic of recording um i i think that people definitely react to a lot of things in the society including political decisions based on where they're coming from and what their experiences are what they grew up believing and what their life has been like and so you know two different people with different backgrounds are going to look at things really really differently you know i think the um the aspiration to um, have one human race that somehow can coexist in the most ethical and moral way is, is an old aspiration. Uh, it certainly started before the 60s with, you know, Eleanor Roosevelt and the people who created the United Nations. And, you know, long before that, you know, uh, utopian uh, ideals. Um, but, uh, you know, it bumps up against fear and how to how to honor, not hate people for being scared or despise them or dehumanize them, but to try to find a way of honoring and listening to them in a way that allows you to somehow move forward. I mean, you know, he also said, which, which, you know, is true. Uh, you know, I think, I think, uh, I saw a statistic today that 3% of all the money spent on, uh, armaments would eliminate global hunger. You know, mm-hmm. so you could still have 97% as many nuclear weapons and tanks and bullets and guns and prisons and all that stuff. Uh, and that's just, uh, you know, so profoundly disturbing about the whole human race. It's not just an American issue, Lord knows, you know. So how to how to look at that and then still function in a day-to-day world, you know, I, I, I don't know. There's no question that, that when you look at the political landscape in the United States, in 2020, there's a gigantic schism between people that are younger and people that are older. I mean, the the political opinions of people under 30 are so much more what we would call progressive or left wing. You know, within the Democratic uh, Party and the most recent thing in Nevada, the caucus, uh, 65% of people under 30 were for Bernie Sanders. And, you know, there was an electoral map that people put online after the 2016 election, you know, that if only people under 30 had voted, you know, Hillary would have gotten, you know, 420 electoral votes would have been a a landslide. So there's just no question that people under 30, under 35, and increasingly, you know, under 40, the years keep piling on, 
have a very different view of the way the government and society should be organized and what the threats are than people who are over, you know, my generation, you know, and yours, you know, uh, we're the outliers within our generation, you know, mm. uh, our children, our children are mainstream for their generation with mm. the same political ideas, you know, so, so that really plays into Ram Dass's thing about it changing in the stories that people tell themselves about, about, uh, about, uh, and, and how do you deal with that? Um, I don't know. I've always, uh, had a romantic view of younger people. I like, I, I, I think they're, you know, I, I, I believe I have to, that somehow generations get a little more conscious, a little more enlightened. And, you know, uh, if it's a coin flip, I'll always go with what younger people want. <laughs> um, so, I mean, the other thing that he, he talks about, uh, in this, uh, talk from 93, it, he does really frame out that the world that we live in is basically a fear-driven social structure. Yes, yes. Right? And that is the most pertinent uh, thing that we are dealing with. And so the, those, uh, the stories that, that surrounds that supporting that fear-driven social structure, um, which emboldens people who are hungry for power and money, uh, and satisfies that. Uh, in, I mean, just look at uh, Putin. And, I mean, as transparent as he is, he's very transparent. In, in, uh, I, I met a Russian woman who said, "Yeah, no, that's all true about him." But I will tell you, there, you know, there's no crime. She goes in Moscow. There's no crime. You know, so they're willing. You know, so that story is willing to take one thing in exchange for uh, less of another. I, I think so. There are so many stories that support this uh, fear, uh, fear-driven uh, social structure, and then, um, you know, and he mentioned something, Danny, in the '60s. He said we touched a sense of a love-driven social structure, but I guess what ha and you wrote a a, a book, uh, you know, that uh, took us through '67. Uh, how the left lost the team. Now that's a whole other book, right? No, no, no. That's a, that's my first that's book. This was called in, in, in search of the lost court, 1967 and the hippie idea. And although I focused on the year 1967, it was a doorway into looking at the sixties writ large. Uh, and, uh, you know, uh, I, uh, I dedicated it to, uh, to Ram Dass, Paul Krasser and wavy gravy. Two of the oh, three yeah. are now in another, in another world. Yeah. Wavy is still on this planet along with us. Uh, and uh, you were kind enough to help me get some answers to questions from Ram Dass that were very important to me in terms of mm -hmm. trying to have a, you know, retroactive uh, look at that. Um, yeah, I, I don't, um, I, 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 you know, there's, there's, a, there's a writer named Reinhold Niebuhr who was a big influence of Dr. King who, who wrote in the 30s and 40s and and his most famous book is Moral Man in an Immoral Society, and and about about how individuals and families and small groups, it's easier for them to live up to moral codes and behavior, but when you get whole societies organized, you know the job of the people running them is not necessarily to be the most moral, but to represent the the self interest of that group. Mm. 
and that it's caused all of these problems over the millennia with nations, you know, and, um, you know, so it's, a, it's, it's not a new problem for human beings, but there are examples of where it's worked better or worse. And I think to me, when we talk about this election and different people's ideas, one of the things that makes change less scary and more able to really contemplate is if you can model off of examples where things are done in a more humane way. And, um, you know, I do think that in terms of healthcare and the way college is paid for and the way retirement and childcare when people have babies, there's certain basic things where there are societies that seem to have a better system in terms of their citizenry than the one that, that we have. And the question is, can you make those changes the way we've done historically? Obviously, when my grandparents were born, there was no such thing as Social Security. There was no such thing as the minimum wage. There was no such thing as child labor laws. You know, I think all those things made us a better society, you know. So change is possible, but it is uh, it is it is nerve wracking for people. And they're worried that things will be made worse or it'll help somebody else at their expense. And, um, you know, I think the extent you can look at models of things that work, it's a little less scary to contemplate the uh, mm. change. Yeah. Yeah. And again, and you, you come know. from a, and of course you come yeah. from, I know you're an American now, but you come from Canada where, you know, a lot of the things we liberals want for our government and society are things that Canada already does. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and there was no financial crisis in Canada. You know, when we had the financial meltdown because of subprime mortgages in 2008, eight. Eight, um, Canada didn't have that because they didn't permit those kind of uh, mortgages. Yeah. I'm, there was a dual, no, you know, uh, I'm just going to say I'm a dual citizen. I want to make that known. Okay. Very good. Okay. I'm keeping my options open. Okay. Um, Very good. Yes, all of that is true. And the, 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 there's plenty of issues that are going on in Canada as well. Uh, but I want to go back to that. So in the 60s, you know, him saying we touched a sense of a love-driven social structure. We did. And then what followed after that was, um, uh, first of all, accusations soon after. This is a naive concept that you have. And it is not possible. And uh, when you grow up and you have children and you got to have responsibility, then all this shit goes out the window. You hear many, many people of our uh, purview. This is the way that they think back on what happened in the late 60s, early 70s. And of course, there's, there's many things that one could say they are right about. But there's a core thing that was touched, I really believe, uh, that stuck with us and had the possibility and still does have the possibility, which is some of the work we like to think we're doing here at the foundation to promulgate that, to, to really uh, change our story. The one that we, I mean, I always wanted to change my story. When I was a teenager, I wanted to change my story. I didn't know what my, this story didn't make any sense you know, coming from the culture and the, and the social structure and, and so on. And so I do believe it's a, it has grounds for the ability to change our story and, and 
maybe not be uh, as in between stories as we seem to be, that may be a very naive concept given what's going on with this polarization today, though. Well, I, um, I, I just also look at it through a, a longer historical frame sometimes to calm myself down because there's a certain level of hysteria that a lot of my friends have and that I'm susceptible to just because of the sheer uh, ubiquity of news, Facebook and Twitter and, you know, cable news and uh, all the other, you know, uh, sources of information uh that 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 there's actually this feeling that people say a lot of this is like the worst things have ever been you know yeah and that's definitely not true in the united states it's definitely not the worst things have ever been i mean that's just factually untrue we had slavery until until 1865 so let's just start with that i mean that was extremely bad <laughs> definitely <laughs> worse and then we ha- and then for another hundred years there were the Jim Crow laws, which was, you know, halfway between slavery and legal equality. So that only legally got changed, you know, in our lifetime. Uh, you know, when, again, when my grandmother was born, women couldn't even vote in the United States. And when I was growing up, uh, you know, homosexuality was actually illegal. You know, people would go to jail, yeah. you know, for, uh, you know, uh, being entrapped into having some encounter somewhere uh just just uh, you, you know um and and uh so so uh then another you know for those of us that are on the liberal side certainly uh, the mccarthyism was just a terrible problem and for people in my line of work the entertainment business i mean there were there were more than a decade where hundreds of people, whether it was people like Pete Seeger or Oscar-winning screenwriters like Dalton Trumbo or actors, couldn't work at all, you know, because mm-hmm. they were accused of communism. So I just wrote a column about Kathy Griffin because she had a whole nightmare in her career. Right, she posted this Instagram yeah. picture of Trump, the comedian Kathy Griffin. Uh, shortly after Trump was elected, she posted a gag photo of like a rubber Trump mask with ketchup on it and you know, uh, people looked as if he had been beheaded. It was obviously not a real head and obviously not asking anyone to do violence. But she had her, you know, her agency dropped her. She had 25 concerts canceled. She had uh, she was fired from her job as the, as the co-host of CNN's New Year's Eve show. She she, uh, uh, you know, she got death threats. She was investigated for conspiracy to assassinate the president for months uh, because of a, a joke. So. So that's terrible. And I wrote a column about it and it's an important story and her courage and coming back from that. And she has this whole, she has a movie, a documentary about it. Uh, I think it's called a hell of a story that you can see on the different services, but that's nothing compared to what people went through in the late 1940s and the early fifties. She was able to bounce back in a year. Uh, you know, uh, Bill Maher was fired from one show. He gets another show within a year in the, in the blacklisting period it was 10, 15 years. And not to mention, you know, uh, you know, an FBI that was investigating uh, the private life of Martin Luther King and so on and so forth. And then we move forward even to more recent history for many of us feel that the Gulf War was really not in our national interest. I, again, I honor that other people felt differently, but, um, you know, the enormous number of people killed from that far more than during this era. So this is a country with an enormous history of injustice and 
mistakes and suffering. And so is every other country. It's the human race. It's this, mm. what do you guys call it? The Kali Yuga? You know, yeah. <laughs> um, I always feel bad about that because I love Kali so much. I love any <laughs> no. name of the mother of the universe. And, <laughs> and Ramakrishna, who's one of my great idols, you know, as a, yeah. I mean, he, you know, he didn't, I, I wasn't on this planet when he was alive in this incarnation, but you know, the, the, the writings of Ramakrishna, he worshiped, you know, Kali and, but the Kali Yuga is what, what does that mean? I mean, tell, tell me, what does that mean? <laughs> you think I know anything? You're the expert. Oh yeah. Yes. I, I, I think I, you know I, more nothing. about, about Hindu, some, about Hindu traditions than I do. I do. Uh, so I know somebody, you do. Somebody in India said, okay, the, you know, the, there's four different ages and it starts with the purest age where, you know, God, uh, Ram came down to earth and he loved everybody. Everybody loved him. Everyone had a job. Everyone was taken care of. Okay. Then you fast forward through a couple of other ages when wars started and internecine fighting and, and tribalism and all of that, all the way till we're in, uh, it's called Kali, but Kali destroys ignorance. This isn't Kali right, destroying right. people. So, uh, right, but right. what that takes sometimes is, um, you know, a destruction of an existing um, reality in a way that's going to give birth to a uh, to a reality that maybe, maybe has what we were talking about in the '60s. It maybe touches a sense of love-driven social structures. So, so that's what it's about. It's not, yeah, a, you yeah. Know, and, and 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 of course, it's dark. There's, you know, but we are dark now. We are. Look what we're doing to the planet. Look what yeah, we're doing yeah. in the discrepancy of people who have money, uh, a lot of money, to how many people just don't have anything. You know, the the larger yes, gap. Yeah. The, Look at we are doing. So this is going on, but it's also an opportunity in our minds to uh, to be able to suggest that there are ways in which we can go inside ourselves and start making a change so that when we go out and, and say, you know, we don't want that pipeline that was going through native land a couple of years ago, we can do it in a way that's not going to polarize. That is very difficult stuff to do. And it takes a lot. It is. The other thing, you know, talking about the 60s, it's funny. One of the questions I asked Ram Dass about the 60s for the book, again, that you facilitated was, is there a relationship between what was going on in the 60s and Trump's election? And he said yes. And hmm. he said that, 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 there was a, that there was a sense that a lot of us had, along with the love there was a, um, a a lack of 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 respect of the full humanity of people who weren't kind of in our tribe right. and like i remember like when i was uh, young we had this thing of like are you ahead or are you not ahead you know and to be ahead was someone who would take a psychedelic smoke dope and oh he's ahead he's cool yeah. oh he's not ahead he's not cool so nobody really wants to be you know the non-head who's not in on the joke and and uh, and there's a certain kind of um, uh, 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 condescension, mm. almost a, a yeah. spiritual condescension, that is just as big a turnoff when it comes from acid heads as when it comes from a sanctimonious, you know, rabbi or minister, uh, and that people re recoil about. And uh, there was a lack of 
respect for the full humanity. Like I remember, you know, my friend Joel, who was the first person I took acid with in high school, said, you know, we just had this idea that there were like two realities. There was our reality. And then there was the reality of all the people who edited the newspapers and ran the government and that we were in our world. He said, but then I'd be on the subway and I would say, you know, somebody made this. Somehow thousands of people and an enormous amount of effort went to creating the subway. You know, it's like <laughs> there is something to this civilization thing, even if it was done by people that didn't have love in their hearts all the time or weren't as, uh, as sort of cosmic in their perspective that that is worthy of honor, you know, and that that's their, like Rondas would say, dharma, you know. So how to respect someone else's humanity while disagreeing with them. They used to say the old cliche used to be to disagree without being disagreeable. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's definitely one of the lessons that we all have to learn now. Yeah. And, um, yep, yep, yep. you know, yep, Steve yep. Earle, who you and I are both friends with and who I've worked with for years, is a singer-songwriter who made some very political albums in the Bush era, the W. Bush era, Revolution Starts Now in Jerusalem and has been very uh, outspoken. You know, he's called himself a socialist, you know, as long as I've known him. But his new record and what he's dealing with now is about songs, as he said, about about uh, coal miners in West Virginia and about the idea that he says, I know that these are people who, who didn't vote the way I did. But still, they're, you know, to recognize their issues, their humanity, their reasons coming from a different point of view. I mean, that's part of the challenge is to stay firm in your beliefs and to say no to racism, to say no to cruelty, you know, uh, and at the same time, honor the uh, humanity of people who, who were seeing things a little differently. And of course, if you're a Democrat and you're trying to figure out, you know, who should run against Trump, we have our own polarization within the Democratic, you know, mm-hmm. uh, universe between the so-called moderates and the so-called left. And my goodness, if you just go based on Facebook, tremendously bitter feelings from people on both sides towards each other. Um, you know, it's like uh, human beings like to argue, you know, it's like <laughs> you and I both come from a Jewish background, you know, and we grew up with the joke, you know, you see five Jews, there are six shuls, you know, <laughs> you know, meaning the place where people worship the, 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 the desire to, 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 to argue and to fight each other about about things. Uh, I think that's a big issue for those people that don't support Trump is to figure out how to respect and honor the people that worked with Clinton and Obama and did what they felt was the best they could do. And to honor the people like the Bernie Sanders supporters who say good try, but not good enough in terms of the levels of poverty, suffering, debt, growing disparity of wealth, deterioration of the environment, not enough done about it. Uh, You know, and that, and that, uh, you know, both things are true. It is true that incremental change saves lives. There are people alive today because of the Affordable Care Act and other things that these compromised corporate Democrats got through. And then there are, there are millions of people that were left out of that. And that's part of what created the current crisis. And that, uh, you know, how to, how to have harmony even on our own side is the immediate issue as we speak in late February. Uh, because my goodness, the the, the tremendous um, disagreements uh, among uh, among uh, among our fellow uh, Democrats. Yeah, yeah, the polarization is right throughout. It's uh, it's it's pretty amazing now. And and I think what you mentioned in terms of back to the '60s, the hipper than thou uh, um, story, right? That 
is yeah. very existent all the way through now that let's not forget the kind of polarization that that helped correct uh, correct you know it, it just it, it it promulgated something really that i think those of us that were in there and i was way in there oh my god um kind of forget or don't want to acknowledge that reality of how much we're contributing i have contributed all this time to this kind of polarization so I, I think that's an important point when we start looking at um, the other, other, us and them, as soon as we get there. And, you know, we could say we're thinking the same things. Uh, for instance, if you're a fan of one of the more moderate Democratic candidates and looking at Bernie and you're thinking, uh, I'm thinking, not you, I am thinking, gee whiz, who it's no sense. There's no way on earth this guy is electable. The, the what he, you know, he's 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 espousing certain uh, policies that it it how how what percentage is going to support that? So the fact that he's doing this and he he's not really addressing electability means that you know uh, you're all crazy. Whoever's supporting that. And that is exactly no different than whatever we think, you know, in general about uh, Trump supporters, you know, that are not realizing that this is a, you know, this is not a good man. And I think we want a good man in, in the, as the president of the United States. But you know what I mean? Well, I think, I, I think within the world of Democrats, just to narrow the focus for this part of the conversation for a minute, Everybody, as far as I can tell, decides who they want, whether it's for ideological reasons or because of their own feeling of access, and then they construct an electability argument. So, you know, there is an electability argument uh, against all of the candidates. You know, it's not like Bernie is uniquely uh, burdened with some questions about his electability because, um, you know... Um, First of all, all the same pundits on television and many of the same politicians who claim that uh, he's so unelectable were all the people that said uh, Obama was unelectable. Mm -hmm. And I, I had many conversations in 2008 with people who said, look, it'd be so great. He's eloquent. But his middle name is Hussein. He's an African-American. We know there's what was called in California, the Tom Bradley effect that people who said they were going to vote for an African-American but really wouldn't. There was a hidden level of racism. Uh, he's too inexperienced. Uh, uh, you know, go down, you, you know, and then he had all this baggage from his history. If he had been friends with Bill Ayers, who was in the Weather Underground, and he went to Reverend Wright's church, and Reverend Wright made all these sermons that were inflammatory and, you know, that it would be a devastating McGovern-esque uh, defeat. And Obama ended up winning bigger majorities by far than Bill Clinton ever did or Jimmy Carter ever did. And similarly, you know, all of the Republican pundits were claiming that the Trump was going to have the worst loss that they ever had since Goldwater. So, you know, they don't really know the mm -hmm. argument um, about about elect, you, you know, so there's a pro Bernie argument and an anti Bernie argument. I'll just say the pro Bernie argument. Uh, I for yes, disclosure, I've not been a Bernie supporter in this cycle. I, I was for him last time. I, I just decided this time around I was for Elizabeth Warren. I, I, I really felt it was time for a woman president. 
I felt she would do a lot of the same economic changes that he would do and coming from a similar set of uh, values. And uh, I still feel that. But I think as we speak here now, the odds of her being the nominee are incredibly low and the odds of Bernie being the nominee are significant. So that's that's now in the Mm -hmm. past tense. But the argument for him is, number one, that there were people who voted for Trump who also relate to Bernie because of his, uh, if it's not, you know, if it's just simply anger at the reduced circumstances of so much of the middle class, he expressed, he has a different prescription for it, but he identifies the same pain and speaks to the same pain. So I'm not so sure that, uh, you know, in all the prime, you know, that that he wouldn't peel off some of those people. I am 100% sure that he will get a far bigger he will definitely get a bigger turnout of young people than anyone else will. He's incredibly popular among uh, among younger people of all races, of all backgrounds, in all states. It's uh, the, the, these younger people who grew up in the wake of the financial crisis, global warming. They just see a different movie than we see, you know, and uh, and they're way 30, 40 points more to the left on, you know, whether it's Democrat versus Republican or within the Democratic Party. And I do believe, I think if it was a fair universe, which we know it's not, we don't even have a real democracy in America. We have this complicated 18th century system. But um, I think younger people should get two votes instead of me getting one vote. I think my son should be able to get two votes because he's 26. (laughs) And the consequences of the election mean a heck of a lot more to him than they do to me. He's going to have far more decades of life to, to have to deal with. Uh, so, um, you, you know, I, I, I think that, that, that the turnout of younger people is a big deal. That's their argument. The counter argument is that there are these uh, suburban women who help make Nancy Pelosi speaker by electing more Democrats in the midterms and that they are going to be scared off by some of Bernie's so-called radical ideas. Now, let's really look at what the ideas are, because if you poll a wealth tax, should everybody over pay 2% over $50 million? 70% support that. I mean, a lot of Republicans support it also. If you, you know, Medicare for all is popular. It's not popular among the people that you see on cable news because it destabilizes a whole structure that some people benefit from, A. And B, a lot of Democrats remember how difficult it was even to deal with the transition to Obamacare. Mm. And they don't want to risk... Uh, transitions having to do with health care can be very politically destabilizing. Today, Obamacare is very popular, and anyone who threatens to get in the way of uh, you know, people with pre-existing conditions being able to get insurance is going to lose an election. But right after it became implemented, it was unpopular, and it hurt It hurt because people were so freaked out by the new, new thing. you got to go on a new website and deal with uncertainty. So, you know, it's a legitimate debate, but I don't see the other candidates as being more electable. I, I worry about Joe Biden's ability to function in an election. I think 10 years ago is a different Joe Biden. And uh, the idea of him debating Trump really scares me. Uh, I worry about uh, uh, Bloomberg, uh, you know, the idea that, that you tell this young generation, you know, we're going to ignore what you want and put in someone that was a Republican and a billionaire because he has more money and spent more money. And that's why we should support him. I'll vote for any of them if they get the nomination and I'll uh, enthusiastically. But I don't think that millions of younger people 
who didn't vote last time and who voted third party are going to be motivated uh, just because of things we say. Uh, and then, uh, you know, the others uh, haven't demonstrated any, uh, you know, I think Buttigieg is a compelling figure. He's come from relative obscurity to becoming a national figure very quickly. He's obviously got tremendous raw political talent and could be a significant leader in the future, but there's no evidence that he can attract people of color or younger people, even though he's younger, you, you know, he, he, a lot of the people who support him are, are older, it, uh, you know, uh, and, and again, I, I, I was, I, I'll still vote for Elizabeth Warren if she's still on the ballot by the time New York comes around. But, uh, you know, to me, as we sit here, the choices look like Bloomberg, Biden, or Bernie, or if it's a deadlock convention, maybe they would turn to someone else. You know, three, three guys in their 70s, uh, only one of whom can talk to younger people, and only one of whom can talk to some of the disenfranchised, uh, you know, uh, Trump voters. At the same time, Bernie will turn off some people who are just freaked out by the fact that he uses the word socialist or you know, that, that they think he's some kind of a radical that scares them. Um, but I'm yeah. not sure that you don't win more people than you lose with him. I'm not sure one way or the other. No one knows. As I say, I think they construct these arguments in service of who they want anyway. Mm. You know, and I do the same thing. I yeah. do the same exact thing. Yeah. I like the idea of, uh, next gen getting two votes and, and then old people getting only one. That's a good idea. I wish I had an outlet. You know, again, the nation gives me this column, you know, where I can write about uh, things connected to artists and entertainment. I'm very grateful for it. It's a subject dear to my heart. But if I just had a general column somewhere, I, I would definitely do that. I would put that out there as a proposal. It would never happen, <laughs> yeah. but I think it would change. Hopefully people just morally think about we, we just really should pay more attention to younger people's feelings about these things. I mean, yeah. they've got more at stake. That's just a fact. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, uh, and boy, I, you talk to people in their twenties, it's a very different conversation for the most part than, than, than what you see on, uh, on the TV news. It's a very different conversation. Yeah. And we're, you know, we meet a lot of people, you know, obviously the ones that are interested in consciousness are more of the ones we meet. Uh, but yeah. still they're, they're, um, they, uh, I'll tell you truthfully, their want to do stuff within the social structures to help, be it just, um, you know, around food, around hunger, uh, is is pretty awesome. And the environment, probably number one, about how yeah. how many young people are are working towards doing something about that. So um, that's a visceral issue with younger people. They it's it's not an abstract thing to them. Right. It's a it's an existential issue. Uh, so uh, look, I don't know. I mean, I'm, the the most important thing is to try to remember who we are as souls. To try to tune in with our highest self. For me, prayer and meditation has become the best way. But everybody has their own way of doing that, and then trying to take your cues from that. I mean. As that all filters through my mind, I, I again, I'm. I, I, it feels to me as we sit here, there's a good chance that Bernie Sanders is going to get the nomination, and I just pray that if he does, that he runs a campaign and picks a running mate that that can make be inclusive while sticking to his principles, and and uh, and 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 create the frame for a, you know, a broader, a broader, uh, you know. Uh, 
campaign and a broader uh, sense of community. Uh, if it's not him, I hope whoever it is honors the emotions and ethics of the younger people who so fervently believe in him and don't just mm. uh, yeah. ignore them. I thought uh, Hillary Clinton, I think, would have been a, a good president. I, uh, I, I, I think she might have been better than her husband was. And um, I voted for her. But, um, uh, you know, when she picked that guy, Tim Kaine, as a running mate, whatever his virtues might have been, it sent a message to all the Bernie voters of screw you, take it or leave it. You know, instead of trying to unite the party uh, and get, you know, it was about like we won, you lost, you know. And I think that pushed a couple of million people away unnecessarily. Mm -hmm. I mean, she still could have controlled everything and had somebody a different kind of messenger. Obviously, she thought she was going to win and didn't have to worry about that and was picking someone she was comfortable with as a possible successor. But it was uh, it was definitely a mistake politically. I hope that whoever gets the nomination doesn't make that kind of a mistake. I hope they use that slot as a way of broadening their, you know, the sense of who they care about. Because these things, people just want to be respected. Very few of us understand policy. I don't. I don't actually understand, you know, the federal government. It's this incredibly vast, complicated bureaucracy that, you know, I've never worked in or studied. I just have basic values. I like the idea of Medicare for all if they can do it in a way that doesn't screw things up. I like the idea of, you know, free college. People act like that's a radical idea. That's not radical. I mean, when I was growing up, there was free community college and city university was free. Mm. You know, University of California was basically free. It's only in the last 30 or 40 years that there's all this college debt. So when that proposal is not only is it not radical, not only does every other civilized country figure out a way to get kids college degrees without them incurring hundreds of thousands of dollars of debt. This country used to do it. That's a, that's a new phenomenon of yeah. bankers and others mm. figuring out a way to suck more money out of the system. And the interest rates that these kids pay is just unconscionable. So that's not a radical position he's taking. That's a, that's just a restoration of the balance that we had in the, you know, when I, when you and I were growing up and, uh, uh, you know, I, I don't understand people who say that's radical. I, it's just it's just what's radical is people coming out of college and having a quarter of a million dollars of debt and having to spend the next 20 years of their life limiting every single decision they make because of that. Yeah. Uh, you know, of course, what we're talking about is a topsy turvy um, policy change to uh, as you what did you say at the beginning like if three percent of the defense budget was spent uh, uh people would it would free. feed everybody i yeah. think uh, yeah that's, it would feed all it would, it would eliminate starvation in the world you know yeah. uh probably so, look, that's been our whole life you know yeah. and and i it's easy to say hard to implement because yes. well who's going to give up which weapon yeah. i don't envy yeah. the people who have to have those conversations yeah. but it's the right conversation to try to reverse it you know the things that i'm getting from because we're talking a lot about uh next generation and and how they support bernie and and what he represents in such a big way and uh i just have to again i was talking about the people that are coming through the foundation and working or consulting or just coming and being a part of retreats or whatever and you know we're bumping into a lot of next gen people 
And of course, yes, they are. As I said, they're all in, into consciousness and developing some uh, internal self-inquiry to get real with themselves and have a, a, a more of a balanced life. Uh, and but you know, and I said the I, all of them. They're all about uh, what's going on in the environment and and also the dis discrepancy uh, in terms of financial uh, means in, in this country. Well, in the world. Yeah. Yeah. So they but. Here's what they're always talking about as well, and it's community is a huge thing. I did a thing the other night. We have a fellowship program at Love Serve Remember, Ramdas Fellowship, and people around the country get together in community, feed each other, and uh, do a little chanting or meditation, whatever. And we're encouraging these. And so I went up and uh, I, I just did a little, uh, since Ramdas left so recently, uh, just talked about that and what he meant as yeah. far as community. What he meant as far as community, uh, sangha, satsang, community, family uh, of like a one-pointed uh, one and uh, like-minded interest. And what he did for that was enormous. And I, I started talking Incre about in in Incredible. For, uh, so so many legacies he has but that's definitely one of them yep. it's for yep. the rest of our lives there's thousands of people who oh you like be here now you it's like an immediate sense of okay yeah, yeah. Uh, you, you know we we have something in common we have some shared uh value system i think yeah. that's true uh you know of i think some people feel that way about christianity and other things but for for millions of people, he created a set of uh, an attitude about life and a sense of community that outlives him. Uh, yeah, and non-judgment. You know, non-judgment. Yeah, that was yeah, a, yeah. Know, that has been not just about others, but about yourself. It's okay to be human. That added feature makes a, a, a quite a big difference. So these people wanted that. You know, there was a few hundred, yeah. 250 people just wanting you know just saying we want that so community definitely acceptance inclusion those are other big things that uh, that we we get f uh, fed back and and honestly um and uh, you know these people that are in in the case that we're talking about bernie i i you know far better than i that seems to be the case of what he's representing they really want that and he does represent some of those ideas for sure so um, well I, yeah look again i i this um, isn't a pro bernie thing i didn't cause yeah, I, no i'm i'm a i'm a you know still an elizabeth warren supporter voter and donor uh my son both of my kids are for bernie and i think that's just what's going on in a lot of families um is is where kids are for bernie and the parents aren't you just look at the voting patterns it's obviously different yeah uh, a pattern but yeah. um uh, I think that the, um, the the two things I think I think firstly, because he's been so consistent for his entire public career, there's a personal trust that even if he makes mistakes, which mm -hmm. they all do, uh, that that he's coming from a pure place of his beliefs. Yeah, right. and that, exactly. that I think there's a trust in his that overused word authenticity that he's earned. Secondly, I think there's a feeling that a lot of us have of all generations, but particularly young people of whatever the virtues were of Barack Obama. And I think he's probably the best president of my lifetime. Certainly. I mean, I have quite a 
fondness for the three years of John Kennedy's presidency, but and LBJ obviously did certain things that were incredibly helpful during the first part of his presidency. But uh, you know, I, I'm an Obama admirer. I'm glad my kids grew up with him as president. I think he 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 did uh, you know the Affordable Care Act alone and many other things he did were great. But he basically had a similar point of view that Bill Clinton did about maintain uh, about deference to Wall Street and the banks. Mm-hmm. And um, and allowed allowed them to continue to take bigger and bigger and bigger pieces of the resources of the nation uh, and control more and more, whether including academia and uh, the media and politicians in a way that created this uh, tremendous um, burden on uh, tens and tens of millions of people uh, whose counterparts a generation earlier were living decent middle-class lives. Again, there was no college debt when we were growing up. It did not exist. Mm. Um, you know, and, and, uh, and the wealth disparity, there were of course very wealthy people and there were poor people, but the disparity, you know, all the statistics tell us this is the worst it's ever been. And, you know, similar, but even a little more extreme than the early 1920s and, uh, you know, so-called gilded age. So I think that there's a lack of confidence that, Hey, we're the grown-ups. We know how to do this. Yeah. You know, just yeah. all the Bill Clinton and Obama people just do what they say. It's as good as it's going to get. It'll only get worse if you don't have us in there. That 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 there was a, a cohort of people who said, "I'm sorry, it's just not good enough." We respect yeah. what you've done. I some of them say it. I say it. I re- I have friends who worked in both those administrations who are totally idealistic, beautiful people who did the best they could do, but the the basic mindset gave way too much deference yeah. to to a system that is uh, is um, you know is uh, you know that thing of the one percent or the one tenth of one percent or the one one hundredth of one percent and the vast increase in economic insecurity in the middle is not okay and that they see everybody else uh, they some of us feel Warren also would be an alternative that, that there needs to be like what she talks about structural change. Now, when they say structural change, to me, that doesn't mean burning down the house. I think just to start with, to go back to some of the policies and tax rates that there were pre-Reagan would be a good start in terms of, you, you know, in terms of the relative wages of people, the, the difference between what an average worker has and a CEO, you know, used to be 80 or 100 times as much. Now it's five or 600 times as much. I'm sorry. I, I, I think CEOs deserve a lot of money. I was a CEO of companies. I felt I earned my money, but I, I wouldn't have minded paying 10% more taxes if, if everybody else could have a more stable life. It's just a better world that way. Hmm. Uh, so I well, think a lot not- of young people have just had it with what they call yeah. neoliberalism or corporate Democrats. I don't like it when they're disrespectful or rude to those people because a lot of them to me really fought heroically. But at the same time, you can't just tell people that all the ideas that the Clintons had in the 90s, that's it. That's the end of human creativity. And that's the end of political progression. And, and, and just we just have replicas of them because that's not working. Yeah. Um, I want to just close, Danny, with this, which is uh, also comes from uh, that Ramdas talk we were referencing from 93 around stories and myths that uh, we're in between and what we've lived with in order to be effective players, um, which is what really we've been talking about here uh, somewhat. But so 
just thinking about the work we this is what represents what we are doing here at the foundation the work on ourselves so inner social work you might say inner social action rather and yes. so as we do that work that work should inform to allow for so social structures that are compassionate and just it should allow us to hear each other and celebrate ethnic diversity instead of being threatened by it and it should allow for us to walk way more lightly on this earth and it should allow that we can just hear each other right this is the uh, aspirations that i i think uh, um hopefully we can really offer that and share that and uh next generation can make it execute it and make it effective that's my hope and well, for the day well i think that's a good hope you know and just uh I'm a big believer, you know, as you know, my teacher that we both knew, Hilda Charlton, used to say, you know, if you if you can't think of anything else to do, just say, I breathe in the love of God. I breathe out love to all humanity. I breathe in the love of God. I breathe out love, you know, mm. that, it, it, that, that, that if you're not coming from a place of love, uh, you know, it's hard to get things done. Now, if I could just go off into a weird tangent, because you were kind enough to share that Ram Dass thing with me. To just give the listeners a sense of what his frame of mind was, he's talking about Bill Clinton, and he was optimistic about Clinton and Gore. You know, he was thinking they're young and they seem to have a lot of good values, and he liked that George Stephanopoulos's family came from a Greek, uh, uh, you know, a religious family. He says, uh, he says, but I'm just not sure how awake Clinton is. I mean, he thinks Paul McCartney. He likes Paul McCartney songs better than John Lennon's songs. So <laughs> how awake could he be? <laughs> uh, so, talking, you know yeah, when you talk about about ramdas's multitudes you know he could be so cosmic and be such a role model for tuning into the purest element of god and at the same yeah. time uh you know had many opinions that i agree with yeah on, yeah, on a yeah. human level yeah. and 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 was able to shuttle between his humanity and Mm. cosmic definition of a soul in a way that showed us a lot of the way that you can be kind of a jerk some of the time and still aspire to yes you, holiness, we are, you know and we, that's yeah we can that's live on the, that's the, plane right yeah we yeah can, we, can, we have no choice <laughs> well no sometimes we have a choice and we get stuck in that lower uh plane thinking we're you know not not uh, yeah yeah able yeah to operate, yeah, you know? yeah yeah exactly so, right yeah. yeah so thanks danny Thank you very, very, very much. Uh, and by the way, everybody, when you go to uh, BeHereNowNetwork.com slash MindRolling, you'll see the show notes, and we'll have some of Danny's books that you can connect with. And by the way, I, you know, my favorite is Bumping Into Geniuses, okay? so uh, I just, Thank you. I love that book. I mean, they're all great, and they all have something to say. And uh, we shall see you next time on... Groovy. Mind rolling. Thanks again, Dave.